Today is the last Sunday of Lent. Uh, next Sunday begins Holy Week, and we're going to focus in on Palm Sunday next week. Um, and so today we're going to finish up our, our series on the temptations of Jesus. And Missy really set us up nice, um, I think, in terms of kind of framing what we're going to do today. What I want to um, do to start is I'm going to ask that you all just, you all stand up, um, move around a little bit, get some blood flowing, and we'll read the gospel together. We've been in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, so I'm going to read this as best I can, and we're going to leave it off the screen, and I just invite you to hear the word of God, um, soak it in, um, hear it proclaimed and read, and then we'll explore this together. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus returned from the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward Jesus was starving. And the devil said to him, Since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, it's written, people won't live only by bread. Next, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said, I will give you the whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil brought him into Jerusalem, stood him at the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, since you are God's son, throw yourself down from there or here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your feet on a stone. Jesus answered, It's been said, don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. And this is the word of the Lord. God, may your word um, this morning be a living word. Um, um, Not from me, uh, not from anyone in this room, but from you. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be guided by you, be pleasing to you, uh, that your name might be glorified, that your kingdom might come and we might bear witness to it. And it's the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Temptation's a funny thing. Um... Think about the, the fast you've done, the, um, maybe a Lenten fast, maybe you're in one right now, maybe a, some other kind of like um, dietary commitment or um, exercise regime that you've committed to. Um, and think about like the most tempting one to break that you've ever done. Um, maybe it's right now, you're... you're Fasting from chocolate this Lenten season, or um, 
when I was in high school, a, a Lenten fast that I did was to not listen to the car radio, which that's kind of a big deal in high school. Um, before phones, you know, that was very tempting to, to break. Um, maybe it's not a fast that you're tempted to break, but it's temptations um, in life that um, beg for your attention. Um, I feel really stuck right here. I'm going to just hold this. It might feel a little game showy, but I'm going to do this. Um, think about today. I want us to look at this story and we're going to look at it um, in terms of Jesus's temptations and kind of what it reveals to us about the nature of God's kingdom. But at the end, what I want us to do is take a look at it in terms of what it might reveal to us about the function of temptation in our life. Um, and so what I want you to do is right now, for just a moment, think about a temptation for you. And, and I invite you to be very honest with yourself. Um, and to hold that concrete temptation in, with you as we, as we explore this, this story. Um, because I think there's something here maybe um, in terms of how we understand our temptations um, that I want to get to by the end, okay? Um, we've talked about this um, the last few weeks and Missy did a really nice job of kind of setting us up. But this whole story of temptation, to really understand it, has to be based in, 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 in Jesus' baptism. And to have it based in Jesus' baptism is to, to, to say... It's based in Jesus' identity and therefore our identity as God's beloved children. Um, and on the one hand, I don't want to belabor it because we hear that and, and we need to hear that and we've heard it this morning. But on the other hand, I can't overemphasize how important it is that we um, open ourselves up and remind one another constantly and remind people in our households constantly and remind ourselves constantly that we are God's beloved. We are God's children. And to enter into wilderness space and temptation space without that um, conviction somewhere in us, whether it's at least here, hopefully down in here, um, is, to, is to kind of miss, I think, what, what's going on. Jesus was God's beloved. Jesus was God's child. Jesus was the first of humanity um, that we might follow him. As God's beloved, as God's children, um, and sometimes we follow Him into um, the wilderness and into temptation. Um, it was interesting, though, for me to look and go, "Okay, what's after this story?" Like, if that's what's before the story, if that's what kind of the story comes out of, where is it headed? What's next? Um, Is the baptism story. Um, this is where it's headed. Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit after the wilderness. So the Spirit is up to stuff again. Um, to Galilee. And news about him spreads throughout the whole countryside. And he taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. The next section describes how he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he's in the synagogue, in Nazareth, on that, on that um, Sabbath, 
He stands up and he's handed the lectionary passage for the day. He's handed the reading from Isaiah. He doesn't even like pick it out. He's given it. Um, And it reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and the people are amazed. And Jesus says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. And so this chapter begins with Jesus' baptism, being told his identity and his purpose um, as the child of God, loved by God. And then he moves through these temptations. And on the other side of it, he begins to live into what people might call his vocation, his calling. And he does this, um, I think we have to assume, in a way that he may not have done it had it not been for his time in the wilderness. So I want to explore that just a little bit um, today. And then again to look at what it might tell us about temptations in general. Um, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this is a very personal journey. Jesus has to go into this wilderness time alone. Um, He has to conquer some of these understandings and longings Um, he has to have them changed, reformed by God before he can go about the broader work that he has been called to do. Um, And there are things that God has for each of us. There are things that God has for our church um, that are beyond where we are now that we may have to enter into wilderness times work through temptations um, with the help of God, God's loyal, lasting love, um, to get there, um, to get where God wants us to be. Um, For Jesus, it it was these temptations. 40 days, he's tempted there. And the first one, as we've read, is, um, since you're God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus refuses. And I'm going, why? Like, what's the big deal? He's hungry. Um, Seems reasonable to eat some bread when you're hungry. Like, what's going on there? Um, I think I saw Marla today. Is Marla here? She might be with the kids. She's been with the kids. We'll talk about her. Um, Marla is a doctor who works on Skid Row, if if you don't know that. And she travels down there every day. And she provides healthcare services to people in the clinic that she works for. And I'm pretty certain there's many days that she's traveling there, uh, making her way on the train and walking um, the rest of the way to the clinic, that she wishes she could turn some stones into bread. And it would seem like the godly thing to do to turn some stones into bread. And yet for some reason here, Jesus refuses this and it's described as a temptation. Henry Nouwen suggests that this temptation is about being relevant. Um, that, that the temptation Jesus is facing here is that as Messiah, 
he needs to be always relevant to the world around him. And that that temptation is one that needs to be overcome if he's going to really live into the nature of the kingdom that God is bringing forth. And I think we can relate the temptation to be relevant to the, to the place we find ourselves. The temptation to accomplish things and, and do things and make things happen. Um, to do everything right. Uh, which are not bad things to do. Um, but the temptation seems to be shaping Jesus in, in a way that's um, a little bit um, off from the messiahship that, that the kingdom of God calls for. Um, he's, he's invited to kind of release his relevant self, if you will, um, and welcome his vulnerable unadorned um, self to let go of the letters behind his name to let go of the degrees to let go of the the status to let it go and give it to God um, and be vulnerable Um, it's one temptation Um, it's one invitation to us in terms of living into God's kingdom Um, the second temptation um, that we looked at a couple weeks ago is that he's taken to this high place, right? And he's seen all the kingdoms of the world. And he's offered those. And he says, he's, he's, he is invited to worship the tempter um, and that all of those would be given to him. And you know what? I, I kind of get this one too. Like, if you're growing into this idea that you're the Messiah and your understandings of Messiahship at this time are that you're going to rule and reign, this might be kind of easy street to get there. This might be like, oh yeah, this is what this is about. I need to, I'm, I'm going to rule. We'll just use them all. Jay is demonstrating love for us and the thousands of listeners on the podcast. (laughs) Power can be an easy substitute for love. And we can all think about this on our national level, right? We can all think about this globally. And we can all kind of put our hands together, stack hands, and say amen. um, That we see this play out. The harder part is to get honest and kind of let it drop down into our lives um, and how this looks at our places of work, um, how this looks in our own households when we try to parent. I'll tell you what, Caleb can attest, sometimes it's easier as a parent to exercise power than to love, than to come alongside um, and just say no because I said so, you know. Um, and sometimes you have to do that, sorry, you know, but, but probably less than we do. Um, and God's kingdom is a kingdom of love, a first love. Um, and all our other loves are just reflections of that love. Um, and so we learn in this temptation of Jesus, and I think Jesus is formed in this temptation. 
Like, oh no, this kingdom's going to be different than ruling all the kingdoms of the earth in one quick exercise. Um, in fact, you're going to worship the Lord your God. Um, and the God of love is going to change you and shape you um, in such a way that you work differently, you neighbor differently, you parent differently, you friend differently, you treat yourself differently. Um, the third temptation is what we looked at a little bit last week. And the devil is, brings Jesus to Jerusalem and stands him at this highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're God's son, he's tapping into this like idea that the Messiah would be a divine figure. If you are indeed God's son, jump off of here and God certainly will show that you are God's son and save you. He's sending angels to save you. Now, that's kind of a, maybe a foreign concept for us a little bit, but, but you can kind of also see, if you think about the categories Jesus was working with, that the Messiah would be God's son, God's child, you can see how this might make sense. Like, oh, wow, if I really believe that, I better do something wild. I better do something that shows that God trusts me. Um, and we, we see people do these kinds of things. We may have even done these kinds of things. We get into kind of desperate places, and we want to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to do something really crazy right now because I can't figure out what to do about it, and I'm going to put it on God. Um, and the temptation is to do something spectacular now and suggest that as Messiah, Jesus needed to be spectacular. And the nature of God's kingdom is that the poor and the meek um, are exalted. And the powerful and the spectacular are humbled um, for their own sake. Um, and it seems like in this wilderness time, Jesus has to go through um, a season of formation based in God's love. And his identity as God's son so that he's ready for whatever the future holds for him. And that future is revealed and started in that sermon in, in Isaiah. That the oppressed would go free. Um, that the sight would come to the blind. Um, later in Jesus' story in Mark chapter 8, you see Jesus grappling with this very thing. There's this weird healing story. Of Jesus heals a blind man, Bartimaeus, and and they ask Bartimaeus, you know, you were blind. What what do you see? And he's like, well, I see people, but they look like trees, and it's almost this like, oops, didn't quite get it, you know, kind of thing. And then Jesus goes back and heals him again, and this time he's able to see clearly. And it's kind of this weird story that you're kind of like, huh, Jesus was kind of like, must not ate his vegetables that day or something, you know? Like, what, what's that all about? Well, the very next story, he's with his disciples, and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they kind of like check the polls, and everybody's like saying one thing or another. Some say Elijah, some say Moses, you know. And Peter kind of puts his chest out, and he's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yeah. And because of that, I'm going to love, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm going to 
um, serve, and I'm going to be killed, and after three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Because that's what Messiah looked like in God's kingdom. And Peter's like, it says, takes him aside and like scolds him. Like, no, 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 no. Let, let, you, you missed it, Jesus. Let me tell you what you're going to be as the Messiah. Um, you're going to be powerful. You're going to be divine. You're going to be relevant, spectacular, like all these things. And Jesus says to him in Mark chapter 8, get behind me, tempter. Because he knows that is not what being the Messiah of God's kingdom looks like. And I think we read that because he may once again have been tempted. He may once again been tempted to take all that he could have gotten um, as a human being um, and yet withstands. Hebrews picks up later um, in describing Jesus and says that Jesus, um, well, encourages the readers, let's hold on to, con- to the confession since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, who is Jesus, God's Son. Because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. But instead, one who is tempted in every way that we are, except without sin. Finally, let's draw near to the throne of favor with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace when we need help. We follow one who has been tempted in every way, the scriptures say. Um, And because of that, we have one that we can go to for mercy and for grace in our own seasons of temptation. And in so doing, we may be reminded of who we are as God's beloved, as God's children. And we also may be invited into a future and a vocation um, that we would have never understood in the same way had we not been through um, the wilderness. So I want us to spend these last few few minutes um, thinking about temptation and ours and what this passage might um, invite us to uh, think about when we experience temptation. We're unlikely to be tempted like Jesus. Um, we're un- it's unlikely that we'll be taken to the top of a mountain and promised all the kingdoms of the world or It's unlikely that we would be tempted to jump off of a building to trust angels to come and catch us. Um, Maybe some of us, if we're really tired, Um, but but unlikely. Um, It's unlikely that we would think that we could take some rocks and turn them into something relevant, Um, especially bread. I guess some of you are handy. You might might be able to do that. Um, But part of the Christian life is to discern when we are faced with temptations, A, that they are in fact temptations, um, and B, when we recognize them, 
to discern, all right, God, what's the way forward in these? What, what's, what's here for me um, in these temptations? Um, and so a, a, few, a few thoughts that I, um, that I th- wanna want to suggest. One, as we close up this Lenten season with this, this theme of surrender, I want to invite us to surrender our temptations. Whatever those are that you've been thinking about. And surrendering our temptations is different than surrendering to them. Does that make sense? Um, surrendering them is to acknowledge them and to give them to God. Um, I, I come to this with a heavy heart um, today because a, a friend of mine who I went to college with, his name is Dave, died yesterday um, of complications, health complications due to alcoholism. Um, and it's, there's a whole group of us just kind of reeling um, from this. 44, um, just a year older than me. Um, and I just, my heart breaks. Um, for his wife, his young, young children. Um, but I also got to tell you, I've got multiple friends right now. And I don't know if this is a time of life thing or just a, a happenstance, but multiple friends who in varying degrees and in varying kind of pathways of success are addressing alcoholism in their life. And I'm praying for them, and I'm listening to them, and um, I'm hearing some of them use this kind of language, surrender. Um, surrender that temptation. Not to it, but surrender it to God. Um, and for some of them, to these groups of people that they're meeting with in AA. Um, so I wonder what it's like for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who, just by walking into a meeting... Um, confess their temptation? What is there for us to learn who may be holding different temptations um, and yet real? Um, Maybe it's not alcohol, but it's food. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's some other kind of um, comfort. Um, Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's the temptation of grumbling or jealousy or um, anger. Whatever these temptations are, I want to invite you to just kind of surrender it, name it, and even if it's just for this moment, to give it to God and consider um, what we might learn here. I wonder if this metaphor of wilderness might be helpful when we think about our temptations. To think about our temptation to whatever as wilderness time. And therefore, as pathway to freedom. Are the temptations that we experience, could we consider them wilderness experiences? I mean, God, and we know this, right? This metaphor, God consistently leads God's people from slavery Not directly to freedom, right? But first into desert and wilderness and then new life and vocation. 
And so I wonder what it'd be like to consider our temptations, whatever they are, um, as wilderness time and to surrender them to God. Um, I think our temptations are generally connected with our desires and our woundings and our gifts. And so it can be tricky to kind of parse them out. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that, that in this temptation, just like Jesus' temptations made a whole lot of sense for where he was, bread for the hungry, reigning and ruling for a Messiah, um, trusting God as one sent by God. I mean, these make sense. But the temptations in the wilderness and how they led to his messiahship show that there is always more beyond our temptations. That God has more for us than these things. And to surrender them is to open ourselves up to, to discerning what that more might be. But I think to get there, we have to acknowledge that these things make sense. They're connected to our woundedness. They're connected to our desires. They're connected to our giftings sometimes even. Um, and the third one is, I guess, just what I just said, that I think these temptations, um, God can use them as teachers for us. God can use them as signposts to something much better, um, much more in line with God's kingdom than maybe we're experiencing them right now. Um, so I thought about a few temptations that are rampant in our society um, and how these might, they might fit in this kind of description. You think about greed, right? Greed is a temptation um, in our culture. Um, and I wonder sometimes if greed and, and, and the ability to, to access resources, um, the temptation is to hoard them, right? But I wonder what, what's the pathway to freedom um, if greed is, is the temptation? If greed is not only the temptation, but gaining access to resources is possible for people because of their personality in this particular context. Warren Buffett often talks about how his personality was just perfect for the economic environment that he was born into. Um, to hear him talk about his wealth is just interesting um, with, with lines like that. Some of us, whatever, our makeup, our histories, our families, whatever, it makes us able to access resources. Um, how do we resist the temptation to hoard um, and, and look at our opportunities as pathways to freedom? Um, the temptation to hoard is connected with our desires. It's connected to our woundings. It's connected to the narratives that we might have heard growing up. There's not enough. You got to keep it. You got to save it for a rainy day. Saving's good, by the way. Um, but, but those narratives can, can take us over. Um, it makes sense that hoarding um, or greed would be a temptation for people, um, depending on their backgrounds and their stories and the messages they hear. Um, 
And also I think greed is, is an invitation to more. Um, to receive um, wealth and resources as gift to be shared. Um, as gift to be utilized wisely. Um, think about other temptations. Worry, anxiety. It's a temptation for many. Um, how do we hold that up, our tendency to anxiety and worry, and hold that up and surrender it to God? Um, trusting that with God's help, that might be a pathway to freedom. That there might be something in that to learn about ourselves that God wants to set us free from. Um, that it might be an invitation to, to trust. Next season in Easter, we're going to look at this theme of trust. Like, might our anxiety, if we face it and surrender it, be a pathway into deeper trust of God um, and God's provision and care um, for us and love for us, depending on, on where that anxiety is based. Um, we could go on and on. Food, gossip, idle chatter, pornography, murmuring. Um, keep, keep anger. I mean, just keep going down the list, and I just wonder what it would be like for us to hold these temptations and to surrender them to God. And that God might use them much like God used those temptations with Jesus in the wilderness um, to point us to something we're missing that is beyond what we're experiencing now. Rejecting temptation is not about self-hatred. Denying parts of our humanity, it's not about that. Um, it is about celebrating God's gift of full humanity um, and learning, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, to tune our lives um, towards God's song. Um, at the heart of our resistance to temptation is the love and loyalty of God um, and to God who has called us his beloved children and who holds out to us a path to follow him um, and a future for us if we're courageous um, to walk through these times of wilderness with God. Um, so this morning... Um, I want to give us a time to um, just to hold those those temptations that that I that I hope you kind of held throughout this reflection. Um, the kids are going to come in in a minute, um, but what we're going to do is we're going to I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to sing the song first, and then after we sing the song. We're going to pray this prayer of confession that we've been praying together each week during Lent. And I just invite you to use that, um, that discipline as a, as a way to surrender whatever the temptation is um, in your mind. Um, and then um, once we do that, we'll sing a song one more time um, and um, we'll, we'll move towards the Eucharist table.
Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll sing together. God, we, um, we thank you that we do not have a high priest who is unable um, to understand, um, unable to um, sympathize with our weaknesses and our failures and our temptations. We thank you um, for your faithfulness through Jesus Christ. We thank you for his faithfulness unto the cross, that your kingdom, a kingdom of love, um, a kingdom where, uh, of trust in you, um, is available to us. And I pray, God, that as we surrender our temptations to you, um, much like your son did um, ahead of us, we pray, God, that you would use them, use that um, surrendering as a pathway to whatever it is you have for us as a church, as individuals who are following you as faithfully as we can. Um, and so we sing this song, God, and we, we um, move to the areas where the sand is just to surrender our, our temptations to you. Um, and it's the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.